and uh, turn in your Bibles or bulletins to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 29. Fourteen years ago, I took a class in performance art about a mile away from here. Some of the graduates of the school went, had gone on to become household names in entertainment. There was a sense among our beginning class that if you got noticed by the teachers, you could advance as far as they did. A few weeks into the course, the teacher announced to us, today we're going to learn a method called invocation. We will choose a common object, like a lamp or a chair, and we will invoke the God behind it. He led our class through a creative process inspired by pagan worship practices. Each of us were instructed to literally worship and unite ourselves with this object. Now, all of a sudden, for me, as someone who was raised Christian, who called himself a Christian, the stakes were raised for me, and I had a choice. On the one hand, it was like, wow, this is literally breaking the first and second of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt now have no other gods before me, and you shall not make unto yourself a graven image. Um, do I like put my hand in the fan and say, I can't do this because of my Christian convictions, and just make everything super awkward. Um, because if I did that, like, wouldn't I be uh, misunderstood as a fundamentalist who's too good for a creative exercise, who doesn't have an open mind? Um, that's not really worship, is it, to just sort of like do a creative exercise? Maybe I would lose my credibility and the witness that I had built up to that point. So I was in a tough spot. Do I participate out of my Christian convictions? Do I, do I not? Do I participate? Um, to keep my witness? Do I not participate to keep my Christian convictions? And what I really needed to hear in that spot was a truth that shines brightly in our text this morning in Daniel. In fact, this truth is so powerful and so strengthening, it acts as like the nerve center of the entire book of Daniel. It's a truth that animated Daniel's life as well as the millions of people who have read the book of Daniel since. Here's the truth. When the stakes are high, God can be trusted. When the stakes are high, God can be trusted. When it matters most, when it matters most to us, God shows himself faithful. Ready or not, the stakes are high for every one of us. It's true whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. Anytime the resources are low and the needs are high, the stakes are high and we're on the hook to make ends meet. Anytime a person, a powerful person, or a powerful group applies pressure to us or wants something from us, the stakes are high. Anytime we get into a conflict with someone that we care about, the stakes are high. Whenever we're faced with a life-altering decision, whether people close to us are suffering or when evil seems to triumph over good, the stakes are high. And whenever the stakes are high, God can be trusted. He can be trusted because he is faithful and true. He can be trusted to guide us in difficult situations that, where we just don't know what to do. He can be trusted with our obedience. He can be trusted with our worship. When the stakes are high, God can be trusted. And there's no way to know that unless you go through a situation where the stakes are high and you put yourself in a situation where you trust God. 
Here's what happened when Daniel and his friends went through a raising of the stakes situation in their personal life and in their vocational life. Um, so it begins with, as it begins with all of us, what will Daniel do with his body? Look at verse 8 with me of Daniel 1. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, last week we saw how Nebuchadnezzar used his power to take almost everything away from Daniel and his friends. He destroyed Daniel's home. He destroyed the temple where Daniel worshipped. He took away Daniel's freedom. He even took away Daniel's own name, gave him a pagan name. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to break Daniel down and then build him back up in his own Babylonian image. Part of that plan was to feed Daniel and all of the Jewish youth with food from his own table and wine from his own cellar. Stakes are high for Daniel. He's been invited into the inner ring of power. If he cooperates, if he does everything the king asks him to do, he's guaranteed a spot in the inner ring. Um, and potentially, Nebuchadnezzar will trust him more. Hey, Daniel, you trusted me to feed you. You're drinking from my wine cellar. We're toasting uh, to my long life together. Um, you look like a trustworthy guy. Total cooperation would mean survival. On the other hand, if he refuses to take part in the king's diet, he could lose his life. So the stakes are high. And what's the big deal, anyway, with eating from the king's table and the king's wine? The king's food and wine were not directly forbidden by Mosaic law. There's no indication that there are uh, like unclean foods at this table. And in fact, later in the book, Daniel does partake in some wine. So what's happening? Here's what we know. Daniel saw the way that food and drink was operating in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And something in him said, this is unholy. And if I participate, I would be defiling myself and I would be dishonoring God. And I will not defile myself. My body belongs to God. And so I'm going to eat vegetables that just grow naturally from the earth. And I'm going to drink water from whatever, you know, Babylonian freshwater streams there are. That's going to be what I take into my body. Notice that in verse 8, this was a resolution. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. This is the language of undivided strength, working inside out. It was a covenantal solidness formed in Daniel from years of listening to Jeremiah's preaching and Isaiah's prophecies, formed under King Josiah's reforms an inner resolve, an inner strength, undivided. It reminds me of the insight of Soren Kierkegaard, who said that purity of heart is to will one thing. Daniel wills one thing, trusting God with his body when the stakes are high. Nebuchadnezzar could destroy the temple, take away Daniel's freedom, rename him, but in the end, Nebuchadnezzar could not divide Daniel's heart. And that's all God asked. I wish that I had had the inner resolve of Daniel when the stakes were high in my own life. When our teacher took us through that incantation exercise, or invocation exercise, 
Um, I did not have that resolution. In fact, when the stakes were raised, I found that inside my heart was a, a compromise. On the one hand, I wanted to look good. On the other hand, I wanted to honor God. And those two things were divided. I was divided. And so because of my own protectiveness, um, I did not remove myself from the exercise. I stayed in the little circle there. I mouthed the words but didn't vocalize it because I was like, well, I want to spiritually protect myself without making things awkward in here. I did not have purity of heart, and I did not will one thing. I willed multiple things. And maybe you've had a time in your life like that. The stakes were raised. It caught you off guard. You felt ambivalent about it, and then you chose the path of least resistance. That time that we participated in something unholy, something shameful, or the time we didn't speak up, but we went along and pretended, or any time we let ourselves down, or let down someone we cared about, or let down the Lord. Here's what one scholar said. When we look at our lives, we find that we are not like Daniel and his three friends. We are far more like the nameless multitude of uh, who were deported along with Daniel, who ate the king's food, and all together became like Babylonians. The more we get to know Daniel, the more we come to realize that we are not Daniel. The only person in history with an undefiled heart was Jesus Christ. He was God's son, and he came to save the compromised, defiled people like you and me. He was God's spotless lamb. And his inner resolve took him all the way to the cross, to a bloody death, to take away the stains of our own willing compromises. When the stakes were high and we could not be trusted, Jesus Christ could be. So Jesus is not scandalized by our failures. On the contrary, he came to forgive them. And in fact, he uses our failures as a teachable moment where we uh, will learn, actually, how to call upon his Holy Spirit and by grace obey the will of the Father like Jesus did. Jesus patiently teaches us how to have purity of heart using moments when we had impurity of heart. He will teach us how to will one thing, to please God with our whole life. I'm not like Daniel, you're not like Daniel, but by grace, we are becoming like Jesus. Glory to God. Daniel himself seemed to know how much he needed grace, because as you see him walk out his convictions, there's no hint of spiritual pride or superiority. We instead see a deep humility and wisdom in Daniel. Notice how Daniel makes a straightforward request of the person in charge. Look at the second half of verse 8. Therefore, Daniel asked the chief of the eunuchs, who was overseeing the whole foreign exchange program, uh, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are already of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Now listen, on the one hand, the person in charge really likes Daniel. He takes a shining to him. Um, he wants to help Daniel. On the other hand, this guy wants to keep his job. He wants to keep his head. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, a, as we'll see, very unstable man who is capable of killing people, quite willing to kill people. 
Um, the response of verse 10 is sort of, we could even see it as like an indirect way to say, okay, you can have a special diet, but it can't involve me in any way, and the king can't find out about it. So we see Daniel move from this conversation to the next conversation where he goes down the chain of command to the immediate supervisor. So he's navigating life like is described in the book of Proverbs, someone who's wise, someone who understands how to navigate uh, a system, navigate a bureaucracy, navigate people who have power more than he does. And he asks the steward in verse 11, Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, here's his request, test your servants for 10 days. All right, notice the creative diplomacy here. He's come up with a doable solution. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now here's a very indirect way of Daniel saying, I'm willing to personally accept the risks of this experiment. I'm putting my life on the line, really, to say I'm going against the will of Nebuchadnezzar. And again, it's coming from that inner resolve and more so his trust in covenantal God. He's trusting God as much as, uh, well, in the same way that Jesus trusted the Father when he went to the cross. God will come through for me eventually. So let it be known to your servant at the end of 10 days, according to the experiment. So for verse 14, so he, the supervisor, listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Think about Daniel during these 10 days what those 10 days must have been like. I think they must have felt like an eternity for Daniel and his friends. You're, you're eating vegetables. You're eating asparagus. Maybe you're eating sweet potatoes. I didn't research the vegetables of the Babylonian uh, zone. You know, look up vegetables in Iran and tell me what Wikipedia says. But that's what Daniel and his friends were eating, most likely. Um, so if you have a, a day where you're only eating vegetables, at night, you're going to feel hungry, okay? Because your body works through it really fast. And so, but you have to look bulkier. You're trying to bulk up at the end of 10 days. So just imagine the precarious way that Daniel and his friends would feel as they watch their friends have uh, sort of lots of meat, lots of protein, lots of, lots of calories. Meanwhile, they're eating vegetables. Who's more likely to bulk up at the end of 10 days than people with protein, people without protein? Um, Daniel was not trusting in this diet to save him. He was trusting in the goodness of God to, to come through for him as he committed himself to a trustworthy God when the stakes were high. Um, so we come to the surprise at verse 15. One day passes, two day passes, three day passes, four day passes. Get it to 10 days. And there's supposed to be a change in your body, but here's what happens. At the end of 10 days, verse 15, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, which was the goal, than all the youths who ate the king's food. Okay, this is a miracle of the living God. They're bulkier and better in appearance. And so verse 16, the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. What a faith-building moment this must have been for Daniel and his friends. They put everything on God when the stakes were high. They, they, they walked by faith and not by sight. God could be trusted to bulk up their bodies. 
And, um, and so um, what that would do is that would give them money in the bank in terms of faith to trust God again. The stakes would get higher and higher and higher. One pastor said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And the only way that you build it is by using it when you feel like it's not going to be enough. When I was just a few years old, my family experienced something that we now call food insecurity. Um, this is when you don't always know if you're going to have three meals a day. Uh, we had a big family, four kids, the youngest right here. Uh, we had one modest income. And at the time, we were memorizing at the dinner table the words of Jesus. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, uh, we would come up to occasions where it would be like, there's no food in the pantry and there's no food in the refrigerator, and nevertheless, we need to feed our family. So, Lord, would you provide? Would you make good on this? Would you provide for us? Um, and my, my mom was telling me story after story of like ways that would happen. On one occasion, my parents knew that, that this was the case, so they prayed. We must have all prayed, and that uh, we came home. We were away from home for some reason. We came home. We found out that someone had made their way into our locked house, and they had left a steak and potatoes dinner on our table, and we ate like kings that night. Um, when the stakes were high for our family, God could be trusted again and again, and that gave my parents and us greater and greater confidence. He's going to provide for us. Um, he showed that to my family. He showed that to Daniel and his friends. And you know what? He'll show it to you if you let him. Um, it's true for our personal lives, and it's also true for our vocational lives, where sometimes it's even harder to trust God. Um, when it becomes a social situation and when it can impact our income, when it can impact our livelihood, or it can impact our safety. Um, so Daniel is going to, on the other end of this experience with his personal life, He's going to be given responsibility in his public life more probably than he ever asked for. We can read about that in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 18, at the end of that time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And this was after three years. And among them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So notice with me that there's no arbitrary separation between the spiritual gifts and the natural gifts of Daniel and his friends. God could be trusted when the stakes were raised for them uh, in their public life. God could be trusted to supply a lot of gifts that they would need. Supernatural gifts and natural gifts. Practical wisdom for the seen world, as well as understanding in all visions and dreams, which is a spiritual gift in the unseen world. To be frank, they would need both sets of gifts to handle all of the responsibility placed on their shoulders. God placed Daniel and his friends in what we might call interesting times, okay? They were living in interesting times. They served at the axis of history, in the room where it happens, influencing the fate of empires and nations. They needed wisdom and street smart, political savvy, 
as well as the spiritual gifts of prophecy and dream interpretation. We're going to see Daniel exercise these gifts in mature and courageous ways. This man is a cross-cultural communicator, a political operative, an evangelist, someone with supernatural insight, and also someone who has the wisdom to speak truth to power. He could learn from the culture, and yet he wasn't seduced by the culture. What's more, Daniel and his friends needed the courage to use those gifts from God at the very moments when it could cost them their life. Now, I know that you and I have not asked to live in our own interesting time. Uh, we are living right now at the axis of history, one of the axis of history. None of us asked to be alive during a pandemic or during a period of political division and racial tension. None of us asked to be alive during a period of economic de devastation. None of us asked to lose our job. Um, none of us asked to see our families ripped apart uh, because of different opinions. Yet God has selected us to be his people in this city, in this time in history. And he will give us his spirit to obey and hold up in our calling. And he has given us his spirit. Now, this morning, you might be listening to this and you're not yet a Christian. You're considering the claims of Christianity. You're considering Jesus. And you're wondering if there's any purpose to your life right now. God wants you to know um, that he loves you, that he has a calling on your life, and that he will give you everything you need, both supernatural and natural, for you to live your purpose in this time in history. Um, and he offers you the Holy Spirit. So this is a moment for us to just say, Lord, the stakes of history have been raised. I need your Holy Spirit to equip me with wisdom, with understanding, and with spiritual power. Help me exercise these gifts, the natural ones and the supernatural that you've placed inside me. Help me discover these gifts. Help me operate in these gifts. Give me the boldness to say yes. You know, after Jesus died, he started giving gifts away. As, almost as a way to celebrate. Um, he was raised to life, new life, and so he started giving gifts to each one of us uh, to, so that we could worship him with our life. He gave us gifts of evangelism, service, prophecy, organization, teaching, encouragement, prayer, creativity, generosity. When the stakes are high, listen, God can be trusted to do far more than we can ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, and that power is the Holy Spirit. Now check out this final verse as a way of encouragement before we close. Verse 21, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What might look on the surface as a throwaway line is actually a statement of great hope because Nebuchadnezzar might represent the destruction uh, and devastation of the temple and of God's people. Cyrus represents the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar and the coming home. And he would point forward to a day when we would all come home to the great city of our God. Seventy years after Daniel was taken, God was faithful to bring back Daniel and his people from exile. He was faithful and true to his word. When the stakes are high, listen, God can be trusted. Can you imagine what it would look like if we were to venture out on this truth together in the year 2020? If we knew that God could be trusted, if we could begin to spell our faith in that truth as R-I-S-K, can you imagine the courage that we would have to take risks to love God and neighbor? Can you imagine 
the pockets of comfort that exist in our church body right now being transformed into Holy Spirit-filled places of true love of God and neighbor. Can you see it breaking down the sacred-secular divide that sometimes we live, our, we live in? We have our God spaces over here. We have everywhere else over here. But there's, sometimes there can be a big wall, and the Holy Spirit wants to tear down that wall so that there can be a much more seamless unity between personal and public spaces for us. Can you imagine the more wise and creative interactions that we would have with people who don't know Jesus, but who are curious to know what it would look like to follow him and live and love Chicago, live in and love Chicago? Can you imagine how less compromised we would be with the systems that seek to shape us in their own image? Just imagine Emmanuel Anglican Church being a place where people go, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with those people, but I see in them a solidness to will one thing. I can trust them that they're not going to operate selfishly with me. How trustworthy God would make us together, people of wisdom and guts and humility and strength. The stakes are higher than they have ever been for us. Let us ask God to make us a true gift to our city and to him for the good of our fellow citizens and for the glory of God who is at work within us. Glory to him in the church now and forever. Amen.